Hey, it's Matthew J. Thanks for checking out the show. Do you like spooky, wicked conspiracy history and stories? Do you like hearing short stories that just make you question, is that true? Then sit down and turn up the volume. All information used in this podcast is protected by fair use. Episode 23, Conspiracy, D.B. Cooper. To all my listeners, happy holidays. And I know we are getting close to long hours of decorating, wrapping gifts, long car rides to see family. Remember, you can listen to this show to get through those things with joy. Let me introduce myself. My name is Matthew J. I'm your host and storyteller. I love talking to people and listening about their stories, about anything they find interesting. I graduated with a history degree from a major university in North Carolina. I enjoy telling stories and doing the research to get deeper into these accounts. So this podcast is about history, kooky tales, cryptozoology, ghost stories, and all the conspiracy theories that keep me asking, is that true? This is the shocking 23rd episode, and please reach out to me via the email address if you would like to share a story about your own experience. The email address is s.w.chistorypodcast at gmail.com. The accounts I'll be talking about tonight took place in the airspace above Seattle, Washington, and Portland, Oregon. It was a mysterious Boeing 727 aircraft hijacking. Let us get ready for this story. So grab some dark sunglasses, a plane ticket, and a parachute. This story is going to be one they'll have you questioning. Is that true? Let us start there and pull information from the Google machine and learn a little history. Stay with me. This is just to give us the backdrop. The definition of hijacking is an act of unlawfully seizing an aircraft, vehicle, or ship while in transit. The Boeing 727 weighed 184,200 pounds. The Boeing 727 range would be 1,950 miles, fully filled with jet fuel. The top speed for the Boeing 727 is 566 miles per hour. The wingspan of a Boeing 727 is 108 feet. The last flight of a commercial Boeing 727 was April 6, 2003. That is some good information to help us get going on this audible adventure. If you've been watching the current news networks, you might have heard about the recent string of crash and grab robberies, flash mob robberies, and even cargo truck and train robberies due to the supply chain shortages taking place right now. The current greed of material goods and money has desperate people looking toward crime to gain wealth. What if I told you that after I saw these news stories, I thought about a hijacking mystery that is still unsolved? It was the afternoon of November 24th, 1971, and a man walks up to the Northwest Orient Airlines desk at the Portland International Airport and purchases a ticket to Seattle, Washington. The name he checks on under is Dan Cooper. Mr. Cooper purchases a one-way ticket with cash. Mr. Cooper is described as being a white male in his mid-40s, very slim, nicely dressed, well-combed hair, and wearing a business suit with a black tie and a white shirt. He's also carrying a black briefcase. 
The flight from Portland to Seattle was 30 minutes. Mr. Cooper enters the jet and takes a seat at 18C. The flight takes off on schedule around 2.50 Pacific time. The flight was not completely full. It was Thanksgiving Eve, so most people were already making their final travel plans. The jet takes off and Mr. Cooper leans over to the flight attendant sitting in a jump seat right next to him. He hands her a note, but the flight attendant does not look at the note. She thinks it's the way that Mr. Cooper is hitting on her, but it was not. Mr. Cooper then whispers to the flight attendant, quote, Miss, you better look at that note. I have a bomb, end quote. So what happens next in the story? The flight attendant reads the note and gasps. Per the reports, the note was printed in well-written all capital letters and the note mentions the bomb and the directions the flight attendant to sit next to Mr. Cooper. Well, the flight attendant follows the note and sits right next to Mr. Cooper and leans over and asks, quote, can I see the bomb? End quote. Mr. Cooper opens the briefcase and shows her a bomb with eight red pipe bombs attached to wires and a large cylindrical battery. Cooper closes the briefcase and demands to the flight attendant $200,000 in American currency, four parachutes, a fuel tank standing by in Seattle to refuel the 727. Cooper instructs her to go tell the pilot. The flight attendant tells Captain William A. Scott what is going on and they begin to contact the Seattle-Tacoma Airport Air Traffic Control Tower. Northwest Orient's president authorizes the payment of the ransom and orders all the employees on the plane and on the ground to fully cooperate with Cooper's demands. After two hours, the local authorities and the FBI get the money and the parachutes. During that time in the air, the other passengers had no idea what was going on. Holy cow, it was a 30-minute flight. Today, people would be going crazy. Air marshals will be all over the place calming crazy airline passengers. As the crew waits to land, they notice Mr. Cooper is cool, calm, and collected. He's now wearing dark sunglasses. He's ordering drinks and just sitting calmly waiting and holding the bomb. During this time, a flight attendant by the name of Tina Mucklow asked Mr. Cooper, quote, Do you have a grudge with Northwest Airlines? Mr. Cooper looked over and replies, quote, I don't have a grudge against your airline, miss. I just have a grudge. Now, it's 5.24 p.m., and the flight team informs that Mr. Cooper's demands were met. The airliner lands at 5.39 and is taxied to an isolated section of the airport. A gentleman by the name of Al Lee approaches the aircraft and delivers a cash-filled knapsack and the four parachutes. Once this is done, Mr. Cooper allows all the traveling passengers off the plane, and he also lets off a senior flight attendant. While the plane is being refueled, Mr. Cooper outlines his plan to the pilot and his crew. The flight plan is to go towards Mexico City with a minimum airspeed that will allow landing gear to remain deployed. Also, he demanded that the wing flaps be lowered to 15 degrees and the cabin remain unpressurized. Wow, what a detail! Mr. Cooper knew a lot about this plane. Well, he sure did. This model, Boeing 727, has a unique feature, what is known as the AFT hatch, a stairwell that would extend from the rear of the airliner. Now, that seems cool and dangerous, right? But Mr. Cooper instructed the flight crew to make sure this was left open and the stairs to be extended after takeoff. It is now 7.40 p.m. and the Boeing 727 is back in the air. Cooper picks up the briefcase, the bag of money, and the parachutes. He takes Tina Mucklow with him to the back of the plane to show him how to open the AFT door. 
She gives him the instructions, and then Mr. Cooper asks her to go back to the cockpit and keep the door closed. Now around 8 p.m., a red light goes off in the cockpit, informing the pilot that the AFT door has been opened. The pilot uses the intercom to ask if everything is okay. Mr. Cooper picks up the cabin phone and just replies, yes. All of a sudden, the crew feels the air pressure change, and at 8.13 p.m., the aircraft's tail section sustains a sudden upward movement that causes the pilot to redirect the plane. This is the last time Mr. Cooper was on that Boeing 727. The aircraft lands at 10.15 p.m. at Reno, Nevada Airport. FBI agents, local authorities surround the jet, but it's too late. Mr. Cooper and the money are gone. All that is left on that airliner was the flight crew. Mr. Cooper is gone, and the FBI still today cannot figure out what happened to Mr. Cooper. The press takes the story, and from the very beginning, they botch things up. The name Dan Cooper was changed by mistake to D.B. Cooper and has since stuck. The report of where he might have jumped still confuses many people, but a lot of people believe it was in the area south of Mount St. Helens, near the town of Ariel, Washington. People still today search the forest areas of Clark and Cowlitz counties looking for D.B. Cooper evidence. But it always takes a child to help solve a mystery. It was February 10th, 1980, and an 8-year-old boy by the name of Brian Ingram was vacationing with his family on the Columbia River, about 9 miles downstream from Vancouver, Washington. As he was playing on the shores and digging in the mud, sand, and dirt, he discovers three packets of money. You guessed it, he found some of the ransom money from the D.B. Cooper hijacking. Most of the money is given to the FBI, and it was tested. It was confirmed that the three packets were some of the stolen money. Now, this location is 52 miles apart from Ariel, Washington. So, did Mr. Cooper land near Vancouver, Washington, or did he land in the Columbia River? Since Brian Ingram found them buried, I have a feeling that Mr. Cooper survived and buried that money. Still to this day, Mr. Cooper has never been arrested, and no other money has been ever recovered. What do you think? Do you think Dan or D.B. Cooper survived that jump from the Boeing 727 over the wooded landscapes of Washington? Do you think he landed in the Columbia River and drowned? Do you think D.B. Cooper's grudge was so crazy that he survived to live off the money in a foreign country that would not trace the bills back to his crime? Do you think he buried the money off the shore of the Columbia River and later came back to never find it? If you ask me, I believe Mr. Cooper survived that jump. He buried some of the money, took the remaining cash to a distant country, and spent it lived with an amazing secret and story, either still alive hiding out in a nursing home today or now past. But his crime is one that will always be a mystery that may never be solved. The story is one of my favorites, and that's why I wanted to share it with you. Do you like this podcast? Then we need to thank Anchor for helping to get this podcast distributed. Please share the show with your family, friends, coworkers, aliens from another planet, or any creature you know that listens to podcasts. The show needs your five-star reviews on Apple to get more listeners, which helps us get new stories. All of us need a good story to listen to on our commute to work, working out the gym, walking the dog, or right before bed. Please email me suggested stories or some of your stories that I can read on the podcast. Please email me at s.w.chistorypodcast at gmail.com. The show is on the Nextdoor app. Please follow the spooky Wicked Conspiracy History Group. Join the group and get the show and a direct line to me to talk about the podcast. 
Also, the Spooky Wicked Conspiracy History Podcast is now on iHeartRadio. Again, the show is worldwide. I need some listeners from the United Kingdom, Germany, Philippines, Canada, New Zealand, Norway, Ireland, Sweden, Portugal, Australia, and the Netherlands to send me some of your stories. I am so appreciative of your support of this show. To all my listeners, I'll be taking some time off for Christmas, and I'll be back before the new year. So please catch up on the old shows and have yourself a Merry Christmas. Thank you, and keep listening for the next show. Good day and good night.